Hey man, how are you? Good, right. Hey, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Hey, so hey, real quick, how do you pronounce your last name, Ari? It's a silent K, so it's pronounced Nazan. Okay, that's what I suspected, but I didn't want to butcher it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, hey, yeah, good to meet you. Um, man, uh, so when I was first getting going in jiu-jitsu, you were like every white belt's hero. I'm not even, <laughs> even going to lie, man. Um, I remember uh, just you being like the number one guy on YouTube for the well, longest time. Let me, let me tell you, Brian, uh, maybe hero to some, but the antichrist to a lot of people. What, I, I know, which is super interesting, you know, but I, I guess the, it comes with the fame, right? I mean, in a it, lot of ways. Yeah, it was unintended and it was something that uh, I didn't expect to happen. Um, and it was weird because it was like jujitsu at the time was at its infancy on YouTube. There wasn't like a lot of stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was like three channels and there was nothing else out there. And then it's like, Hey, Ari, you're, you're on the underground and you're on sheer dog and people are telling all the shit. And I just, it just blew up and I'm like, Holy fuck, how do I manage this? Right. It was, it was nuts. So it was uh, something weird because all I wanted to do was just share jujitsu and, and then it just like, obviously people are polarized on how they look at submissions one-on-one. So. Which is interesting. Cause I didn't even, I was, if it makes you feel any better, I wasn't charting any of this shit, like none of it. Yeah. So this whole time until um, like, I don't even remember it coming up that there was any negativity associated with the whole thing until um, somewhat recently. And like somebody, I want to say somebody who knows Keith, I just had Keith on the show. Yeah. Which I mean, dude. So like, I learned about Keith Owen and Eddie Bravo from your channel. Oh, really? Right. So yeah. So it's like it. It's you know the benefit is there. You can't. Uh, it's irrefutable. But um, but then I think like somebody that knows Keith. Uh, I told him I was like, man, I want to have that guy on the show. And they're like, man, that guy's kind of unjustly been given some shit over the years. And I was like, really? Why? You know? Yeah. But, you know, it's, um, I, but then I was like looking at your channel today, 57 million views. Yeah. Uh, one of your videos, uh, from back, back when I would have been like a blue belt, uh, 267,000 views. Yeah. That's, that's insane. Probably, that's probably like the omoplata or the flying armbar. One of those. Yeah. And like, okay. So that's, that's a, uh, amazing feat to get a video. Like I, I have about the same number of videos on my YouTube as you. Oh really? No, nowhere near the amount of views. <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, man. So, like, what what made you decide to start submissions one hundred and one? When did you first do that? Uh, so it started in I think launched in February of uh, two thousand seven, and uh, it was just I, I wanted to kind of we were screwing around at my dojo and it's like, I'm going to film some techniques and I want to put it up for a couple of my students because YouTube is a great way to uh, get information across when people aren't at school. And I started looking online and said, like, Oh, there's not a lot of stuff. Like people had videotapes. YouTube had literally no jujitsu channels. And uh, I just started, you know, putting stuff up at that time. And, you know, I went was like, there was submissions one-on-one there was lock flow, at the time, which is no longer around, which was really, really good. 
and uh, oh, I'm gapping on the other one. Was uh, was Lockflow that other? It was there was another. Uh, it was a no, primarily a Nogi channel. Yeah, young, younger guy was that yeah. Lockflow? Yeah, and they were based out of uh, Seattle, Washington, I think, and then they uh, they ended up closing the channel a few years ago. A great resource, but um, yeah, that's kind of how it started, and people just started coming to the channel. It's like, well, I'm going to put out a video every week or something like that, and then it kind of just went from there. Yeah, like in it. So at one point, I feel like just in my viewership, it started being, it, maybe it always was, but it started being like a collective. Like you started having people like Keith Owen and like I saw Frank Mir and like just different people over the years. Uh, was that always something you just filming jujitsu, your journey and stuff and collaborating with people or what? Yeah, I mean, I've always been into learning from other people and I'm like I'm not the primary source for jiu-jitsu and never claimed to be and it's like well if I can get other people and film them and put them up on YouTube it, it just kind of made sense to me and I was doing a ton of seminars uh, like attending seminars at the time I wasn't a black belt or anything like that I was black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu uh, but I was doing like nogi at the time uh, people love to talk shit about that, by the way, too, which is I'm, I've studied Japanese jiu-jitsu the entire time I've trained. And oh, yeah? now I work with there's a orthopedic surgeon that comes into my gym who is a uh, sixth day in judo, third day in Aikido, and he is working Aikido with me like every night. Yeah. And people would talk shit about that in the jiu-jitsu community. And I'm just like, right, let's just train and shut the fuck up about it, you know? Yeah, it's it's nonstop. I mean, um, we're an opinionated group, aren't we? <laughs> yes, yeah, there there are some really loud sects out there that yeah. make a lot of noise, especially on these forums and stuff. But here, Brian, here's the thing that's happening, which is really, which is kind of neat. But there is a resurgence of um, black belts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Gracie jiu-jitsu, that are branching out and. So you're seeing you're seeing guy like uh, little Tony Pasinski. He's doing stuff. Um, Roy Dean has a background. You've yes. got uh, wrist lock videos now coming out. Like before, it was like don't do wrist locks. That's that other stuff. And now it's being incorporated. Uh, I remember a time when leg locks and BJJ were like mm, no, don't do it. It it it's just cycles. So I have always said do what makes you happy. You know, and incorporate stuff into your jujitsu that makes it your own. If you enjoy it, fantastic. And then just go from there and just don't give a shit what other people think because now you got guys who are teaching wrist lock videos or have backgrounds in other arts and they're bringing it to the table. So, yeah, man, I do. So, on the wrist lock uh, conversation, I remember your videos on the wrist locks uh, years ago, and that being, you know, like one of the only. Then, then I saw sometime around probably when I was purple belt, Keenan Cornelius. Yeah. He put, a, he put out a wrist lock video and I guess made him cool again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Roy Dean, he does have a, a really cool background. He was recently on. Um, a friend of mine's podcast, one of my instructors, actually, but he's a good friend of mine's instructor, a guy named Alan Shade. Uh -huh. um, he owns a school out in Vegas, but uh, yeah, Roy Dean's a cool dude. Um, yeah, I mean, Roy Dean has a, he's got a black belt in judo, black belt in Aikido. He's got black belts in Japanese jiu-jitsu, right? I mean, it's, uh, there's lots of, lots of uh, people out there that have those, those crossovers. So I like to point out a good case study on that is Hicks and Gracie. He has a black belt in judo and Aikido. So, 
which people love to talk shit about that guy too. I'm just like, well, guys, what are we doing here? I know. I don't, I mean, no one's immune to it, you know? And like I said, we're a passionate group of people and we are so opinionated on what we think is right for, for the community. Um, there's that joke about the jujitsu police and those are the people who are the pillars of the community that are guarding against shit and stuff like that. And, um, we all have our mistakes and we all have our demons and we all have things that we've screwed up. And, you know, so I just, uh, a lot of judgment out there. Um, I've never gone online to, to try to, you know, talk shit about someone or whatever. And even though it was all coming my way, it's just like, you know, I know it's out there, but I just don't focus on it because I want to focus on, you know, learning from really cool people. I've met so many amazing people like, like you, Brian, like, uh, it's awesome. It is just, it's the friendships that I've made doing jujitsu that is actually better than jujitsu. I'll be honest. That's, that's what I absolutely love. Yeah. I mean, you know, this, just doing this podcast has been super neat because it's, it's becoming like everybody I've ever come into contact with through jujitsu is who I'm having come on the show. Like I kind of do a, an MMA show, a jujitsu show, and then just a life unraveled show where I yeah. don't burden people with these types of conversations right. from my general audience, you know? So, but um, you know, this is, it, it is interesting. One other thing I wanted to ask you about is like, how much do you think that this is, there is another thing out there that's fascinated me for years. It's sort of this stigma associated with even watching jujitsu videos. Have you grown into that? Oh my God. And especially now. So now, you know, look at Zoom and look at videos. It's now the big thing. People are learning from videos all of a sudden. And you know that there is people out there who are like, you can't use video. You shouldn't learn from it or whatever. And then now, because we've been forced into it, it's become popular again. Um, and, you know, look at the Gracie Academy. Look at Henner. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Wow. So, um, I love I love videos because obviously you, it transmits information uh, quickly. You can skip stuff. And the way that I believe that black belts digest videos and the way that a white belt digests videos is totally different. And the presentation. So I'll ask my black belt buddies. I mean, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I, I saw this 20 second clip. Awesome. You know, I got it. Right. Because you, you see it. You see the move. You understand the mechanics. And then the white belt's like, you lost me. I need a five minute explanation of everything. And so it just depends. But uh, I think it's a great supplemental thing for your jujitsu journey. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I wonder how much of that is not like passed on, like um, instructors who are maybe out of touch with the video uh, aspect of learning. I mean, that's just the type of learner. I've, if somebody's watched videos, it's always been a great supplemental resource, white through white belt. Mm -hmm you know, of doing 14, like 14 years of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So, but um, there has, uh, the whole time I was watching videos, but there was like this stigma. And, and honestly, the stigma was kind of being passed on to me. Like, like I shouldn't encourage my students to do it. And I got over that pretty quickly because um, I have, I started owning Academy at Blue Belt or, or, or like I was splitting right with some with a karate school, opened my own academy at Purple Belt, I believe it was a trajectory of things in 2012. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, never experienced anyone talking shit about that or anything. But like, that's something I see people um, demeaning now is, you know, can't got to have a black belt to do these things. I, I think, I mean, it's changed because as there's been more black belts readily available in cities, the argument is why would you train with a blue or purple belt when a black belt is available? Uh, and 
there is that is an argument in itself. So I obviously started teaching uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu when I was not a black belt. It pissed off a lot of people. Uh, but it's also personality stuff. Like some people are attracted to one type of uh, teaching style th than another. And it's not a dig. Like if you're, if you're an instructor in, in one school and then there's another person and then people are going to these two different schools, that's awesome. It benefits the community, right? Mm -hmm. it, and it's like the whole COVID thing right now. If you are cheering on that you want your competition to go under, truly you suck. Um, and you're a horrible human being. I'm not wishing that my competition goes under. I want them to uh, succeed in, because they are operating in a niche that I am not, and they're giving people some awesome jujitsu. So, my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so at what point, um, like I mentioned earlier, um, well, just how did you get involved with jujitsu? At what point did you start branching out and get involved with people like Keith Owen, Eddie Bravo, these two people who I mentioned? I know that that yeah. you have have networked with them over the years, and, and that Keith is who you got your white belt from, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I went from white belt to black belt with Keith, and uh, I'm not going anywhere. So uh, uh, he Keith is awesome. So. Keith is an interesting story. So what happened with Keith, I was training under Eddie at the time. And Eddie is also an interesting story too, but I'll tell the Keith one first. So uh, I was a purple belt under Eddie. I was doing 10th Planet stuff. There wasn't a lot of 10th Planet uh, affiliates out there. There was three at the time. And I got, an, I got an email from Keith Owen out of the blue one day, and it read this. It said, uh, hi there, Ari. Uh, my name is Keith Owen. I'm a black belt under... Pedro Sauer, I just want to let you know that I saw your videos online and I think you, you have some neat stuff. I'm like, and it was unsolicited and I was just like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So we struck up kind of a friendship online and then Keith said, hey, do you want to come down to my school in Boise, Idaho and do you want to teach a no-gi seminar? And I'm just like, uh, okay. So, and I'm a purple belt at the time and I'm like, never done a seminar and uh, I was like, sure. So I go down there and Keith was super open-minded. And so immediately I'm like, I really love this guy because he's like, he loves gi, he loves no gi. Uh, and he wanted to offer something to his students. Again, I was no expert, but I had done 10th line of jiu-jitsu, which wasn't super popular uh, at the time. And so I go down to the seminar and then uh, he's like, well, I, you know, I'm teaching some classes. Why don't you come to some of my gi classes? So I put on my gi, I put on my white belt. And I start taking his classes. And immediately after taking his class, I'm like, I really love this guy's teaching style. And, uh, and then I asked him after that, it's like, can I be your student? Uh, because I want to learn uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, you know, uh, some fundamental Jiu-Jitsu that, that I was obviously lacking because uh, it's just a little different. And then that's kind of how our journey started. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, cool. How, how far away is Keith from you? I know you guys are in the same neighborhood regionally. Well, he's, he's in Idaho. I'm in British Columbia. So it's like an hour flight, an hour and a bit flight from, it, basically it's like from Seattle to Boise because um, I'm on the coast on, on Vancouver Island. So Nice, nice. Yeah, that's another thing that was super weird that I remember. You mentioned like back when 10th Planet wasn't that popular. Like back in the day, uh wow probably 2007 2008 2009 when i was watching all these videos learning about all these people more people were talking shit about eddie bravo not because it's conspiracy theories 
but because because of his jujitsu, which which like now I, I just like don't get it. I'm like now nah, now nah, I'm like, dude, he's a John Jock black belt. Like he's he's super good at. I I have a high opinion of Eddie Bravo in terms yeah. of jujitsu, but um, I have, I have, see I have nothing bad to say about Eddie. I learned so much from him. I have a ton of respect for him. My time with uh, Eddie and uh, uh, being one of his affiliates was awesome. His jujitsu is amazing. He's a pioneer. I mean. I think people are ridiculous or they were back then because it was new. And again, there's these divided camps and I interviewed Eddie years ago on uh, a YouTube podcast. It wasn't even a podcast. And I was asking him about the state of jujitsu and he's like, you know what I want to do? I want to kind of create my own tournament with these, my own rules. Like they have these overtime rules because they're stalling and you should check out the video because it's the birth of EBI when he's talking about it. And it was in its super raw form. And I was thinking, this is, this is going to be really awesome to watch. So, and then he came out with EBI, which is like one of the best platforms uh, for jujitsu. Such a creative guy, like whether it's jujitsu techniques or creating a tournament or mm -hmm. uh, strategizing, trying to uh, create a no-gi system that crosses over to MMA, but is still jiu-jitsu based i mean uh pretty fascinating so i've got to train um with uh, with some 10 planet affiliates over the years and um i have trained with Brand a guy named brandon mccath when he was on the podcast and stuff mm -hmm. i've never got to train with eddie or anything but I've always have been a fan of 10th planet keith uh miss uh, he mentioned being a fan of 10th planet but i kind of do feel like there is a little bit of a divide between maybe them not liking people who also like, like was that something that was frowned on like upon like hey i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a keith on white belt in a 10th planet purple belt it was like that was that was that a, a stigma or anything attached to that if you don't mind me asking uh stigma for who uh what well, for the for people within the 10th planet association like oh this guy does gi jiu-jitsu with this other guy and not just 10th planet jiu-jitsu uh maybe for some but i mean there were there was guys that were taking 10th planet jiu-jitsu that were doing uh doing gi so it wasn't it wasn't like I was the only one, and it's become more popular kind of crossover. And Eddie was never ever uh, saying you know don't do gi jiu jitsu and it sucks. You know he he developed obviously the tenth line system for what he thought uh, he was going to go because he thought he was going to go to MMA. Uh, Eddie has always been super open minded. Like one of the things I remember uh, training with him is he would often show a technique and then people would start doing the lab stuff on the mat and then come up with something and Eddie would be like, Hey, show me. And he would stand there and he'd watch, he has this look and it's kind of like, let me show you uh, a different, a different way. And then he would take stuff and incorporate it from his students and then put it into the system going, you know, this is a better way of doing it. So um, I never got anything from, from Eddie that way. I know that there were some people in the system that probably didn't like it. Uh, I ended up, just kind of going in a different direction because I wanted to do gi and I, I fell in love with the gi and that's how we ended up you know separating and uh, I still do no gi stuff I still incorporate 10th planet stuff um, and uh, it just my journey just kind of went in a different direction after uh, a few years with Eddie so yeah that's um you know I've wondered and someone had mentioned this to me uh, just in passing about like just any student being like yes I'm a uh Pain member of the 10th planet jiu-jitsu association and i'm also a part of uh xyz association over here yeah and you know 
Um, I didn't know if there was any stigma associated with that or not. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, curiosity. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess it's a little weird because, you know, I'm, I'm part of a, I'm part of an association in Canada called the Canadian Jiu-Jitsu Union. So I'm a, I'm a student under a guy by the name of Steve Hisco. He's my Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, uh, mentor and instructor. He's amazing. Uh, he's also a blue belt under Keith Owen. So there's, you know, and he's an A3D black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu. And so it, there's some awesome people I'm hanging around. So it's great. Um, but I guess the gi no gi argument has always been around. But I remember someone asked Keith a question and said, do you do gi or no gi? And his answer was yes. <laughs> so that was it. Right, so That guy has such a, a fun personality right like he he was like one of ever since i saw this video on your channel of him being like you gotta just use a side mount escape so you gotta punch him in the face here okay you gotta punch him right there and just like the i was like man i would constantly try and find videos of him over the years because i loved his explanations and teaching style and then i became friends with him on facebook and yeah uh he's a character to follow there as well he's awesome too because he's like have you heard when uh you know how he talks about pedro sour um super loyal and pedro sour being the greatest jiu-jitsu guy who's ever lived uh and i've trained with master sour several times and it's blown me away so brian have you ever trained with uh, pedro no i haven't but i got i will say okay so i was um at the hickson seminar where he was promoted to red belt right the red belt he doesn't wear but uh pedro sour was at that seminar and i was like Oh my God, I got to get a picture with that. He was like the only other jiu-jitsu guy there. I was like, I absolutely have got to get a picture with him. And he yep. was, I chased him down and he was super nice. Gave my wife and I a picture, but yeah, he's a hero. I just have never got to train with him, sadly. Yeah. Oh. He breaks down jiu-jitsu in a way which is, is remarkable. Uh, and you know, those moments that we learn from these instructors and it's like, Oh wow! I I didn't realize he's doing the Upa wrong for the last dozen years, and he should. You know, it's that's the type of stuff he does, and he's able to take any question you throw at him, and he has this saying. So Pedro Sauer, you go, uh, hey uh, hey professor, how do you do this? And then he goes, uh, I don't know, but and then he shows something, and it's awesome. Yeah, uh, we were talking about those moments uh, in my morning class and uh, mentioning like some technique that blew my mind at this seminar that uh, my friend was teaching. And it's like when you see those moments, like you look around the room and you see who else is looking around the room. Uh -huh. It's like, and, and they're like, because your mind's being blown. You're like, oh yeah, your mind's being blown too. You seeing this? And it's like yeah. some, something basic, a flower sweep, you know, fun stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like what, uh, what are you doing online with jujitsu right now? I have some non jujitsu related questions for you, but I mean, uh, what, uh, are you still doing stuff with the submissions one-on-one channel? Um, it's sitting dormant. Um, I put up a video once in a while, but I got so busy with other stuff that I was doing that the submissions one-on-one kind of took a, a, a backseat. As jiu-jitsu's grown, there's probably 100,000 channels now. So it was just kind of like, there's so much information out there, amazing stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need to, uh, there's I don't, 800 videos on submissions one-on-one. So just, I kind of leave it. I throw stuff on my Instagram or my Facebook once in a while, 
but it just takes so much time because I have something that I'm doing called the Invictus Movement, which is uh, trying to get jujitsu mandatory for law enforcement that I do with my buddy, Jason Repsch, which I'm super passionate about. I've got some other business ventures, which I'm doing. So Sub 101 has just taken kind of a back seat. I'll never get rid of it. Uh, and as a novelty, I kind of throw videos up from myself or, or other people. So it's still there, but it's not, it's not primary in my life at the moment. Yeah. So one of my guys, uh, he's trained with me for years, watched your channel, just like me. Uh, he, he asked me to ask you, uh, there was someone, I guess he followed on your channel, um, read the flying tomato. <laughs> yep. He wants to know what happened to that guy. I, so, will, I will tell you what happened to him. So uh, his name is Jean-Marc de Groot and uh, his brother, Matt. They were both students of mine and they ended up um, opening up their own school uh, here in the city. And so they have a very successful school. And uh, so they're still around, still doing jujitsu. And um, they're both brown belts now. And so, yeah, he's still around. And the funny thing is, is so Jam really got into the gi. So him and his brother both do actually gi. They were both into no gi before. Um, and then James' brother, Matt, is into judo as well. But uh, yeah, they're, they're teaching. Uh, they're, they're teaching. They're both teachers. All right. Awesome. So when did you get involved uh, with law enforcement? Is that something you had going on all the time or you got involved with after jiu-jitsu? Uh, after jiu-jitsu. So I've always wanted to get involved, but... It was in 2012, my dad uh, passed away suddenly, he had a heart attack. And before he died, uh, I remember talking to him and we were just shooting the shit one day. And he goes, hey, Ari, you remember this, you don't want to be 80 years old and regret not doing something in your life. And that just kind of sat in the back of my head. And then he was golfing one day, had a heart attack, um, ended up dying. And that immediately came to the forefront of my head. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to start and do, uh, to do policing. I, this is something I've always wanted to do. So at the age of 39, I ended up applying uh, to the police force. Uh, considered, I guess, you know, older, the 39 is, is older. So I restarted my career at 39, um, you know, got through the academy is 40. So I'm 46 now. So I've been on for six years. And uh, so that's what it was. It was actually my dad and his influence of you, you just, you got to do it. And so I did it. And that's where I'm at. And now you're blending the two. Like, so what, what do you have going on with, uh, with that movement for getting, I mean, I think anybody that does jujitsu can really empathize with, with getting jujitsu involved uh, with yeah. law enforcement training on a mandatory level. Like what, how did that become a thing for you? Um, well, let me ask you a question first. I'll answer that. But so Edgar, yes. can, do you have any cops uh, or first responders or any kind of military or any people at your academy that train? Yes. Also, we have a nonprofit, a 501c3, and we offer a free class for that entire demographic you just mentioned, yep. EMS, firefighters, law enforcement, uh, five mornings a week. In the, uh, there's a university literally right across the street from my academy where I got my undergraduate and master's degree. Yeah. And the chief of the campus police, he's a, like a fourth dan in judo, but he's purple belt in jiu-jitsu, trains with us. He runs that program and he does a great job. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, that's, we do. And we try and reach out to the community and it's, we, we don't get the response. We, we wish we would a lot of times. Okay. So that's the thing that we run into. So, um, last year, uh, and around February again, um, 
we started a kind of collective via Facebook and it was just a group chat with all these cops that did jujitsu. And then the hashtag came out, which was BJJ make it mandatory. And I, and so I'm like, that's what we're going to use is our hashtag for cops to learn jujitsu. And the problem is, is BJJ make it mandatory is a mouthful. So it didn't, it didn't make sense as like to name as the movement. So I was like, we need a better name. And so I came up with the name Invictus. And then I talked to my buddy, Jason Repsch, who's a cop down in Texas. I said, hey, Jay, do you want to be, help me co-found kind of a movement and organize people? And he was like, hell yes. So he's a 20-year veteran in, in policing. He's a black belt in, in BJJ. So we started it, uh, made a website, made an Instagram channel. And then we started to do a seminar. We did our first seminar, which was down in Houston, which had over 100 police officers that trained jujitsu. Uh, which was on the mat, which was a super neat feeling. So you've got all these people who share that policing background, but also have that passion for jujitsu. And there are so many cops that don't train jujitsu that need jujitsu. The internet is replete of horrible videos of techniques gone wrong, people getting injured, where jujitsu could have benefited them. Um, and jujitsu saved my life on a number of occasions. So I've made it a believer of it. Uh, jujitsu needs to be modified a little bit for the street. I think it's a, it's a primary use of force that should be used because of control measures. Um, you know, it, if every, every problem you look at, uh, you end up, you know, every problem you look and you see as a nail, then all you're going to use is a hammer type of thing. It's like, it's just, it's, it's not a one fixed thing. So jujitsu has all this stuff that you're able to <clears throat> have variations and uh, protect people. So that's kind of how it started. And now we uh, are a year and a bit on. There's several thousand members and it's growing. We ended up putting out a uh, article, uh, two articles and basically of statistics of why cops don't train and how jujitsu will benefit them. And one of them that we put out went viral. And I interviewed like, I think 1200 cops and asked them why they don't train jujitsu. And the responses were remarkable. And one of the things that came out of that study was the majority of cops that don't train BJJ or jujitsu in general is they have never needed it before, so they realize they they think they, they won't need it in the future. So I'm a big person, I'm an athletic, I have my tool belt, nothing ever bad has happened to me. So it's a confirmation bias, is all it is. And uh, and then the, when the day comes, you know, you don't choose the day, the day chooses you. So you got to keep that in mind. And yeah. uh, so our movement was just to continue to try to teach jujitsu to cops and uh, to show them how important it is. You know, that's kind of like a, a symptom of all people that don't train martial arts is yeah. this sort of belief that they can defend themselves. And I remember I had been on the mats, but a short time when I realized that that was a lie. I'd been telling myself for about 19 years, you know, yeah. is that, oh, yeah, you know, like I would get in a fight with somebody and I would do fine. I would be able to defend myself. I'm kind of in shape, you know, yeah. and it's like, yeah, but if they have just a little bit of training. I would have been devastated, you know, but then, uh, you know, you get a law enforcement, uh, somebody that is um, in that profession. It seems commonsensical to us for them to, yeah, let, 
you should train jujitsu, but I don't know. There's like a disconnect. Um, but I, I hope that that is something that's even going on in our region of the U S like we're, that's like, like I said, we have it as a nonprofit here in mm-hmm. old Arkansas. So, yeah. you know, it's, uh, th- that's something that I'm really liking seeing, you know, Jocko and a whole lot of people have been vocal about this need. So that's amazing that you're doing that. Yeah, we teamed up with Origin uh, earlier this year. They produced our Invictus skis, uh, which were so badass. Oh, I remember those. Dude, I, I did. Yeah. Okay. All right. I made the connection. Yeah. And so we were talking to uh, to Nicole at Origin and, uh, and Pete. And uh, so they developed the gi for us. So their gis are made in the States. And we're like, I'm, I'm all for it, right? We don't have to send overseas. And so they produced these skis, which were super badass and um and that really that was just like amazing because now we had our logo on a gi and then uh, jason and i had signed up for the for the uh camp that they have every year in august uh the origin immersion camp uh which i don't know if it's going to happen this year (laughs) so uh we're i've never been there and i'd love to go to it so uh that was that was a great uh, marrying of uh kind of yeah, two two companies. I'm super happy about that one. Yeah, nice, awesome. So outside of jujitsu and law enforcement, and jujitsu and law enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, man, I know you're involved with some other cool stuff, and I I feel like you you're probably a really interesting guy outside of those avenues. Just being friends with you on Facebook and uh, kind of following some of your posts, like you have Thor's hammer here over this shoulder you have an yeah. AT, ATAT over here yeah. uh, but you do like some podcasting and some some other cool shit too that I would say was cool shit some other people would call us nerds but oh, um, totally I, my new my new podcast studio is gonna have a sweet Star Wars collection I've been putting together for some time now excellent so uh, I have some inset shelves like a little display area I'm very excited about all of it Nice. But, so what are some other things you're involved with other than jiu-jitsu that, you know, you enjoy? Uh, I think some of my downtime, uh, I love podcasting. So I was in radio for six years, uh, years ago. So, um, so after when I was in university and getting my philosophy degree, I ended up getting into radio at the same time. You have a philosophy degree. Sorry. Let me part. Oh, that's great. I have a minor in philosophy, uh, 27 hours at undergraduate. That's awesome. Sweet. Um, what did you get? What's your degree in and what's your master's in? Uh, history and political science undergraduate, uh, master of arts in history. And then I'm a, I teach uh, at a community college here uh, nearby, um, just a, a average, like five classes. So oh, wow. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so where did philosophy get me? It, it got me into jujitsu and police and, and podcasting. Like, so weird. But um, yeah, so I did radio for, for uh, six years and I really love that medium. I love talking to people. And then I had talked to a good friend of mine. It's another weird kind of story. Uh, his name was Dane and my, my Viking friend, Dane. And we had talked about doing a podcast called The Bard and the Bouncer because uh, I was in nightclub security for 18 years. And we were going to do this amazing geek podcast where we would just tell stories and talk about geek culture and we talked back and forth, but he ended up dying. He got cancer and he died, uh, you know, in his mid thirties. 
And I made another promise. I said, after he passed away, I said, I'm going to start a podcast. So I started a podcast called the Torvis Podcast, which is my 80s uh, Monsters Mayhem Martial Arts Motivation Podcast. We, we review movies from the 80s. We talk about the best toys from the 80s. Uh, and it's just fun. It's irreverent. It is uh, my downtime. And I do it with two of my buddies. One of them named Jason, who's probably the biggest role-playing geek you will ever meet. He's got a collection which puts uh, most people to shame. It's crazy. And he's a couple years older than me. And then the other person that does the podcast is a guy named Alex. And Alex is one of my students. And Alex is a millennial. So you've got two Gen Xers and a millennial that are doing this podcast kind of about 80s culture and geekdom. And it's really neat to have this uh, two views, right? Because it's coming from two generations. So we have a blast doing it. So that's how the Torvis podcast came out. And um, I think there's 20, we have 27 episodes now. And just fun, just just fun. And then we also do the Invictus podcast, which we have a couple episodes. We just started that. So that's just interviews with cops at Jiu-Jitsu and stuff. Man, that is awesome. So yeah. we're we're into a lot of the same stuff. So uh, because I mean, like the podcast with me, like I have five different shows I do that are just all extensions of who I am. Like my, my history spinoff show, just my general life unraveled episodes. I do this one called after the show where I just review my favorite movies and TV shows, and whatever I've got going on in the background. I want to do a podcast about, you know, yeah. so, but uh, man, that's awesome. Um, when did you get into podcasting? Like, is that something you started kind of after submission One Hundred One? you kind of, Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't get into doing the podcast stuff uh, until about two years ago. Um, same, same. And then it just kind of hit me. So uh, part of my downtime, obviously in policing, I see uh, a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of stressors involved. I don't bring my homework, my, my work home with me. So I'm really good at, at my downtime. I love my downtime. So podcasting was just a good way to get together with my buddies and just have a, just a super fun time. Because uh, there's all this heavy shit in the world, right? And we, we need to, to let go. And there's so many amazing podcasts out there. I'm discovering more and more. And it's like, I don't have enough time to listen and to watch these things. But man, you can learn some great things. So uh, bless Joe Rogan for putting the podcast stuff out there and all of us getting Zoom and just going for it. <laughs> So on that topic, what are your thoughts as a podcaster and on Joe Rogan of him going to Spotify and them just basically starting their video arm for him? So I don't know too much about it. So is that what they're doing? They're now, does that mean all of his YouTube stuff is going to come off and go over to Spotify? That is what I'm hearing in everywhere. Is it by September? Like, so like I was showing videos on the TV at the gym to like a morning class the other day, like a couple of uh, like, we're just, related to techniques i was teaching and after each one of them i got an autoplay video straight to joe rogan's podcast and i was like guys this isn't even going to be happening anymore i was like oh but yeah that's what in september it's supposed to come off of um all the other platforms too and go exclusively the whole 11 year library multi-year 100 million dollar deal so that's a huge gamble. Uh, well, not for Joe. I mean, Joe's walking away with a hundred million dollars. Bless his heart. I mean, awesome. Amazing. So that now forces the consumer. It's like, are we going to, you know, it's going to be proprietary just to Spotify. Are we going to jump over to Spotify? Are we going to pay? So they're taking a gamble that people, the millions of people 
are going to jump over to Spotify that don't have it. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. So, Hey, um, so like, what, is there anything you've learned as a podcaster you could, and a famous YouTuber that you would pass on to, uh, I've only been doing videos for a couple of years, man. Honestly, I started doing the, the, my gym videos and the podcast around the same time. Uh, any advice on podcasts? God, no, I stumble through it just like everyone else. And, uh, I think doing your research is, is a, is a good one. Uh, I've noticed that I've done podcasts which have been off the cuff, which have not been as good as this is kind of the things I want to do. Like I always usually write notes about a podcast. I want to make sure that I hit them. Uh, if we're going to talk about a movie, we end up watching the movie beforehand and we really digest it. And then over the next week, we chat before we the mics go on and then we, we get into it. So my favorite podcasts have been the ones that I've kind of done some research on and we've uh, spent some time talking about and digesting. So that would be a piece of advice that I would tell everyone for, for podcasting. Um, and for videos, one of the things for videos, especially jujitsu videos, which I didn't see happen when I started submissions 101 was people were throwing out videos that were super long or they were like 10 minute explanations and they were showing one angle and it was two guys in the same color gi and you couldn't tell whose arm was what, you know? And so I was like, Oh, there's a couple of things we need to change here. So one of the things I did for sub 101 was I tried to keep the videos under three minutes. I tried to, have my partner in a different color gi so you could differentiate between the limbs uh, while watching. I also did different angles where I would show face on, I would turn and then I'd turn the other way. Because a lot of times people were saying comments like, I can't see what your left leg is doing because it's against the wall, can you turn? So that's how I do all my videos. I show, I change, I change, and I just do it different angles. And I teach my classes that same way as well, so. Yeah, that's something I evolved over time. Like, uh, we were for a long time, and I would still periodically do like a stationary uh, video, right? But for the most part, I get one of my guys who's good at filming. He brings in, he brings his own stuff in, films the videos. We kind of have a little arrangement of him him getting to train at the gym for being the video guy. Nice, you know. You know? But uh, that, like, once we, we got some of the same comments and having the, the shots more dynamic. And I've seen, like, uh, we've had, like, a comment going in one of our coaches' groups about that because, like you mentioned earlier, everybody that's never put out a video is now like, oh, man, I got to put out videos. And I like it because a lot of them are some of these, like, people that uh, I was mentioning that may be associated with this stigma of video. They're, like, anti-video. And now they're like, I should put out some videos. And I'm like... <laughs> Thank you, because you know you're like two hours away one way, and I don't get to see you that much. Um, and this is great. <laughs> so, and, and Brian, if you look to see how videos have changed, I mentioned this earlier in your podcast that the length of time. So, videos now, in my opinion, are the one-minute little pieces that you're seeing on Instagram. Those are typically the the soundbite ones, and you can put a lot of information in a minute, right? Uh, and showing different angles, just really quick explanations. And I'm a big fan of Gary V. Uh, uh, I was listening to one of his books today, The Thank You Economy. Yeah. Uh, which one? The Thank You Economy. Yep. So Gary is, is awesome. I'm a big fan of his and his marketing. And uh, I'm always trying to take time to, to read and to listen to other people's marketing strategies. 
Uh, I think it's super important. But he's talking about kind of the sound bites and you need to kind of put things out there. So I think that the next big thing or that you've seen over the last probably two years is the one minute Instagram videos where they fit in there, you get it, you digest it, you can save it on your phone and then you kind of move on. The day, the kind of the five minute, the 10 minute ex explanations videos, those are long gone. Um, you know, obviously you have the John Danaher's that have a system and <laughs> uh, John goes on doing his long explanations. He is a master and there's a time and place for that. But if you're just looking for those clips, I think that's kind of how people are digesting uh, and just adding to their, their toolbox uh, a lot nowadays. I really wonder where video's headed if, you know, YouTube's getting a lot of flack because of censorship. Joe Rogan says that's why he's leaving. Um, you got Spotify springing up with this video. You've got uh, TikTok. Like where I get the most views on video is Facebook. Yep. Surprisingly, for no matter what video I put out. So, and then too, it seems like maybe YouTube has become more of a place for a younger audience like kids. I don't know. So Alex, the, the millennial guy who does our, uh, our podcast for the Taurus, I asked him about what platforms he's on and it's totally different. So he's not on Facebook really. And I said, and he's 20, he's 26, 27. I said, you're on Facebook. He's like, no, that's like so old school. Like none of my friends are on it. Wow. And so I felt old and I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, you know, we're using, we're using Snapchat or using TikTok or, or stuff like that. So it, it changes so quickly. So you've got to be on top of that landscape as it's changing. And again, that's another thing that Gary Vee says. It's like, are you on all the platforms? As you know, when TikTok came out or like, are you on it? Have you, have you started channel? Are you, you know, producing stuff? So that's something that I'm kind of trying to take in. Uh, I am guilty of not being on all those platforms. I'm basically on a couple because of just time. And I don't have a videographer that can throw stuff up. So, but that, that's, uh, I think it is, I think it is changing. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's kind of why I asked you about that as a business owner, like we're on and do a, a lot of marketing with uh, Facebook, email, Instagram, but like we have a Twitter, we don't update it. Um, it you know, it's, it, we have a website we're rebuilding, but I like, I, I'm, I'm really kind of thinking a lot about that. Like what is the, what other sites that I need to be on. I don't want to just get another Twitter type account and then not update it. You know, right. so it's, it's kind of navigating the social media landscape is uh, something to talk to your friends about, I guess. I think you have an advantage too, because, you know, I've seen some of your stuff and the questions that you ask your guests are important and it's just not the run of the mill, same stuff. You know, you try to get into different avenues and I think that's what's going to attract your niche audience. If you were to have Hickson on here, are you going to ask him, how did you start jujitsu? Or, you know, what can you tell me about the 401 record? Or like, or what, like all the stuff that's already out there. It's like, hey, Hickson, when you wake up in the morning, uh, is it coffee or tea for you? And uh, do you like watching horror films? What do you think of uh, David Lynch? Like all these weird stuff, right? That's, people want to know about the, your guests. So it's the questions are, I think, really important. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good point. I mean, that's one thing I'm like, I love, I love talking to people, but I'm looking forward to get, I've done 140 episodes on the podcast mm -hmm. and I'm just looking forward at getting better, uh, through the process of interviewing people at becoming an inter a better interviewer, you know? So what's your, what's your niche? Like when you, when someone says, Hey, uh, how do you, 
why do I, why should I listen to your podcast about jujitsu and life on route? Like, what is it? What's your tagline? Uh, my tagline is just, uh, it's a podcast about life. It's a lifestyle podcast. So like, no matter what you're into, if you're active, if you're wanting to be active, if you're looking for some motivation, inspiration, I try and, and I mean, a lot of it is uh, my, my tagline has grown into that over time. When I first started, um, I was really just pulling a lot of uh, guests like, oh, I might have my friend Jack in from California for a seminar and yeah. get him to come in. And it, it was just like I was booking podcasts much more sparsely. But I've been one of those people who's just like made the jump with, uh, uh, with the COVID lockdown. It's like, uh, I'm just going to start doing primarily podcasts like this and getting more guests that I really want to talk to that I've always kind of either admired or or this or that to kind of like expand uh my just whole perspective on things I love I love getting all of these takes and that's why I have like the life unraveled uh tagline is like I mean, I'm trying to talk to as many different people from life like I want to have like plumbers and electricians on yeah. and stuff like that like that you just wouldn't think about that people like I have a friend that's a plumber asking questions all the time, you know, I'm like, how's that work? Like, how'd you, I didn't even, this was a path I never was even presented with an option and you make like insane money. Tell me about all this, right. you know, but just like a, a general, like I want to have a real eclectic uh, group of audience that I interview and, um, and it just be an extension of who I am and what I'm into. I'm into yeah. a lot of, a lot of shit. Yeah. And I think people jump on board, like, you know, it's like attracts like, so. Yeah. yeah. Right on, Ari. Well, hey, man, this has been an awesome conversation, man. I really, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you and I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. One question before we go. Yes, sir. Uh, so during the COVID lockdown and you own an academy and there's many academy owners out there. Um, I'm interviewing you now, by the way. Uh, and I did this. I want to know how you're managing through it and what you see the future for jujitsu gyms and how it can be. Uh, okay. So I'll just give you the whole spiel. So we were like, okay, we kind of saw this coming. We closed down two days before we got an order from our governor. Right. We're like, Hey, you know, like, and we were operating under this uh, idea. Like there's a County where I'm from, like one County over from where we live now that they had had a school that closed down because of the flu, right? Like I had a hundred cases of the flu that closed down. So I was like, maybe it'll be something like that. Like they had reopened right before the, uh, the COVID outbreak. And I was like, you know, so it's like, wasn't too out of the ordinary. So I was like, look, we, you know, we just had this other school closed because of this, this is on like, let's just go ahead and be smart. And we thought it would be a short-term thing. We've been closed since like March 15th, but uh, May 4th, may the 4th be with you and your your uh, walker there but um we have been limping back in a limited capacity for adults but still they're not starting kids back until next week and that's going to be limited capacity um and we're like one of the more uh we're a conservative state but we're a more liberal state when it comes to the lockdown rules right. you know but uh you know there, there's it's i'll say what's i'm worried about is sustaining this again yes. that is my number one fear i like i was telling cora this because I, I asked her i was like hey how long do you think we're gonna have to do because we're offering a day class for kids and then an evening class to really break up the numbers we have a huge kids program like well over a uh, hundred kids like 
So we're like, okay, we got to break it up. And I said, well, how long do you think we're going to have to do this? And she's like, oh, until at least August. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, really? Like, you think it's like, I I'm like, July, I want to be back to normal. And she, and she doesn't think, and two, meanwhile, I am kind of breaking the law with doing full on jujitsu. I'm doing it like they're doing it one state over from us in Oklahoma, like how all my friends there are doing it. Right. Yeah. But like you work with the same partner, the whole class, we screen you for temp checking. Like we're taking a, we'd clean between classes. Uh, we're taking a lot of extra precautions, but, um, and we haven't had any blowback, but man, there's just all of this, um, paranoia about like, okay, is, is are they going to come after us? You know, like, uh, and then too, like, is, if there is going to be another, uh, wave, the second wave that everybody's talking about, if that happens and they force us to close again, even though they gave us, I tell people this, I'm like, okay, they gave us $32,800 counting personal stimulus money. But my mortgage on my 8,000 square foot facility and my payroll for Cora and our employee, Hannah, who's remained getting paid this whole time and our utilities for three months is that. Like, like we're $400 in the positive, you know what I'm saying? So, um, like if they're going to, you know, it's just, I'm just trying to remain positive about it. I've turned this into a growing opportunity in a lot of ways. Um, it was good for me. I got forced to go to, as a college professor, I got forced to kind of go teaching online, um, which was like, they're like, Hey, go to your studio and teach class. I was like, all right. But, you know, it's just like the uncertainty, man. It's like anything that we're uncertain to, uncertain about. I feel like with, with the non-essentials like ourselves, the, the people who've been deemed non-essential in their business, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's been, it's, I've been a little more uh, non-bending a knee about it, uh, but I've also tried to like walk that line of maintaining perception in my community. Of course. So... Yeah. What, I mean, so how are, what is the difference in opinion here? Cause everybody I know is either freaking out or saying that we're having our constitutional rights violated. What's it like in your uh, neck of the woods? Uh, as you know, the opinions are polarized and uh, I have my own opinions. I, uh, and I'm a pretty opinionated guy, but I'm kind of, I got to be careful on how I navigate this, but um and where we're living, we had a 0 0.06 infection rate. We did the best uh, in our province. We actually were the best in Canada. Um, I have one of the lowest infection rates, whatever. So my fear, like you, is the second wave. I don't think um, many schools are going to be able to survive that. We'll be able to survive the first wave for sure. I think you're going to see the operation of garage jiu-jitsu, Gracie jiu-jitsu garage, uh, people opening and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, fight clubs are already happening. Uh, around. I know a lot of them where people are training together in secret. So uh, that's how like there was that hardcore group in my gym the whole time of about like half a dozen people, never more than two or three at a time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I've been very closely watching what's going to happen. I'm super concerned about it. Of course, uh, bless my students hearts. They've been amazing. Uh, and uh, you Ours know, that's, that's that's our lifeblood and m my heart 
pains when I see schools close. I've known schools that have closed. Uh, the longer it goes on, the more difficult it's going to be. We're just trying to navigate how to do it. So in our area, the gyms were allowed to open. So they passed our phase two order. Now we're talking about a workout gym with weights where they can be six feet apart. And so people keep coming up to me and goes, well, why don't you open your gym? I said, well, I can't because jujitsu is close contact. And then they're like, well, why don't you teach boxing or like a Taibo or something? I'm like, it's not my wheelhouse. Like you expecting me after 25, 30 years of learning martial arts and jujitsu in particular that I, I can jump into teaching boxing. I, that's not what I do. And my students are not coming to my school for that. So the analogy being uh, is if you're a baker and then I suggest that you now start making chocolate while you're both in the food industry, those are two different, in, uh, two different things. I know, man, that's like, fortunately we have, and we, do we move to a new twice the size location, two weeks, two weeks before the shutdown, like doubled. At, uh, we weren't a 4,000 square foot. We moved, we sold that building. We moved, bought a new building, 8,000 square foot. Wow. So like it, it, through, yeah, our members being great, like we've been able to sustain that, but yeah. man, it's a lot of, a uh, lot of uncertainty with that. Like we were feeling confident, but we had, uh, we're limping back with this fitness kickboxing, kickboxing. I have a boxing club mm -hmm. and yoga and hot yoga. So we started actually some new classes when we were allowed to reopen on May 4th. So I'm actually getting some new adult enrollments oh, cool. for those more fitness oriented programs and kickboxing too. I had a family sign up yeah. um, and the guys doing jujitsu as well. So it's, uh, you know, so it's, it's working out, but um, you know, I'm having Tanner Rice on the podcast um, from uh, Rice Brothers Jiu-Jitsu in Cal Redding, California. Uh, uh -huh. And he reopened against their, uh, I think Shasta County is the name of the county against their uh, orders. And they came and talked to him and were like, look, we support what you're doing, but we just legally have to come out here and tell you. I'm going to talk to him about it. He's got family in Arkansas too, ironically. So, oh yeah, uh, it's going to be cool. I've been referring to it when I talk to people as the Rice Brothers Rebellion. <laughs> well, I'm a freedom guy. I uh, I am a freedom guy. I'll just say that. And uh, but I'm also because of my background in philosophy. I'm I, I'm into science. I'm into logic. I'm not into getting caught into the hype about bullshit videos and stuff like that. I think we need to be careful. But I also, the infringement of our rights, we really have to watch that. For sure. Yeah. For sure, man. Yeah. Well, hey, great, great closing comments. Yeah. All right. All right, man. Well, thanks again, Ari. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully, this won't be the uh, last conversation we have. Maybe we can uh, do this again sometime. Yeah, I'm going to come and knock on your door, and I'm going to come uh, train at your place if you'll have them. All right. That'd be awesome. We'll have to set something up sometime. Cool. Okay, buddy. All right, man. See ya. See ya.